we had a speaker lined, or we thought we had a speaker lined up, and Wednesday night, Bishop Zook said, <laughs> I guess I'm up. <laughs> so, here we are. Here we are. So, I want to pray for you, Doing, Father, thank you for this day, for the opportunity that we have to hear your word through Dwayne, and we ask that you would give him strength and courage and the words to speak this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalms 139. John said earlier, this this is the first Sunday, marks the beginning of a new church year. Um, And actually, it also marks one full year, plus about three months, I think, of not having a full-time pastor. So, I think there's, I think in that period of time, I think we've learned a lot. You know, I hope we have anyway. I have. John keeps better track of these things than I do, and he said there's been 22 different people, including guest speakers, come up here on Sunday morning to speak. And I, for one, have thoroughly enjoyed that, but not so much when it's my turn to turn to be up here. <laughs> but it's when somebody else's turn to be up here, I just really enjoy having uh, hearing from different people. So, um, in that time, especially over the last few months, it seems like there's been quite a few things going on that sometimes we kind of look at each other and scratch our heads and how do we handle this? What do we do? You know, how do we take care of this? Just just in the last few weeks, we've had two families now that have lost loved ones and are dealing with the grief and the readjustment of going through that. Uh, matter of fact, in a couple of days, Darla and I are going to drive to Oklahoma to attend the funeral of her cousin. So we'll be gone for a couple of days in the middle of the week. Uh, we've got families in our church, uh, in our community, people that we know, extended family and so, so forth in our communities, dealing with serious illnesses and some of them, uh, you know, coming to end of life and uh, a lot of things like that going on. And we just kind of, uh, you know, sometimes we're just kind of at a loss how we deal with these things. Um, financial problems have always been with us. We've all... In the last few months, we've all stood at the gas pump or at the grocery store counter with our mouths hanging open in disbelief. You know, how can what I need cost this much? What am I going to do? You know, what changes am I going to have to make? And so we're dealing with these things. So this morning, I would like us to read through Psalms 139. And I would like, I would like to read this as an encouragement to us. That is my idea here this morning is that these words will encourage us as we go through Psalms 139. Now, there, th- this psalm uh, kind of breaks down into four parts. Uh, this is a prayer of David, and it is a little bit unique. Uh, in, in, some, in many ways, in some ways, it is very unique, but it is kind of unique in that as David, you know, pours himself out to God and, and, and allows God to pour into him, there are things in this psalm that are, or I've got it backwards, 
There's things in most of the other psalms of David that are not in this psalm. There is no uh, crying out to God for protection. You know, you know, Saul is not chasing him around trying to kill him. Uh, there's no, no mention of the Hebrew culture at all. In most of the Psalms, David writes about his people. He writes about the Hebrews. He writes about what's going on with their culture and so on. Not in this one. Uh, no mention of Hebrew culture. No mention of uh, protection from enemies. He is not begging, crying before God and begging for forgiveness for some sin that he's committed. And um, in most of the Psalms, or a lot of the Psalms, I shouldn't say most Psalms, a lot of Psalms he is, but not in this one. Uh, this psalm basically is a prayer of David to God asking for something that's kind of unique throughout the Bible. You know, we read our Bibles. There are shelves and shelves and shelves of books written, commentaries written, man seeking knowledge of God. That's what we do when we study the Bible. We're, we're wanting to gain knowledge of God. In this psalm, David is making a very rare statement. He's talking about God's knowledge of man. See, it's kind of a reversal there. God's knowledge of man. And you don't see many books written on that, commentaries written on that, because how are us mortal little men going to know the mind of God to be able to comment on it? You know, we can't do that. But in this in this prayer, that's what David is doing. He is... He is uh, talking about acknowledging God's knowledge of us, God's knowledge of man. Now, I said something about it doesn't, uh, it doesn't mention anything about Hebrew culture. That's one of the things, ever since the time of David, every single person on earth, every single culture, every single civilization, every single person can claim this prayer because it is not societal specific. Every one of us can claim this prayer. And so that's really what I want to do this morning. I want to just read through this kind of as an encouragement to us. Some of the times we're going through, some of the things we're dealing with in our lives, in our families' lives, and in, in the extended community and so forth. Uh, you know, it can, it can be a little disconcerting. So I hope we can be encouraged and just know when we're, when we're through this here, know that we are in good hands. We're in God's hands. We're going to be okay. So... Let's just jump right in here at verse 1. Now, before I do that, I would like to say that this psalm is kind of broken into four parts. And uh, you can break it down farther than that if you want to. But, but he talks about uh, the omniscience of God. He talks about the om- omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. God sees all, knows all. He's everywhere. He talks about God as creator. And then he talks about, um, about God knowing our heart, about God searching and knowing our heart. And he kind of starts out that way and then ends the prayer with that also. But he starts out here in verse 1. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God, you know me. You know my heart. You know where I'm going. You know what I'm doing. You know when I get up. You know when I lay down. You know all this. And as I talked about a little bit ago, this is, this is very rare for, you know, for a subject, for a, um, an acknowledgement that this is God searching man instead of man searching God. 
Verse 4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, <clears throat> excuse me, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, I want to talk a little bit here about verse 5. It says, You hem me in behind and before me and lay your hand upon me. Well, you might think, well, that's being a little restrictive. You know, he's kind of holding me down. No, no, no. That's the wrong perception of laying your hand upon me. Think about, this This comes up in the New Testament, think about the potter and the clay. It's, it's the potter's hand on the clay that shapes, that molds, that grows. That's the, that's the uh, thought process here of David. God, your hand upon me is shaping me. It's making me. It's not holding me down. It's not restricting. It's what's shaping and making me who I am. Uh, and then he says, "Such an, that's, that's too wonderful for me. It's high. That's too high knowledge. I can't even, I can't even fathom it. And then he gets to verse 7. He, he's starting in here then about uh, the, um, the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. God, God's here. Wherever I am, God is there. He says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, I really like this part here, and I like the concept here in verse 9. It says, if I take the wings of the morning, what's the wings of the morning? It's the sun coming up. It's the east, okay? And, uh, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Well, now to David, when he's setting in Israel, what's the west? Or, you know, what's west? Is the Mediterranean Sea. That's the sea. From the sunrise in the morning till the sun setting in the sea at night, that paints this picture of east to west. If you follow that, you go around the world. That's the concept of east to west. And we get, the con- we get that concept several times all through the Bible, about far as the east is from the west, so forth and so on. Basically, you're talking the circumference of the world. doesn't matter where I go. doesn't matter what I'm doing. God is there. God is present. Now, there's something about this, this whole passage. Uh, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light uh, about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day. But darkness is as light as you. Now, we need to talk about something here. You know, we're human. It's easy for us. I shouldn't say it's easy, but it is common. We can sit here in church among fellow believers. We can read scriptures like this. We can hear messages presented to us, sermons spoken, so forth and so on. It's pretty easy for us to sit here in church and say, Oh, yeah, God, I surrender my heart. I just, just, just rule everything about me. You know, we can, we can say that, we can do that, and we can mean it. But then on Thursday afternoon, <laughs> when the boss gives you contradictory orders, you know, when the building inspector says, oh, you've got to tear all that out and start all over. Or when I'm looking at the cloud bank in the west and saying, I've got to get this done before it rains, you know. Then you go back to, I. I'm running this. I'm in charge of this. I'm going to make sure this happens. We've kind of forgotten what we've committed to. 
back here when we're in these scriptures. We've kind of forgotten that, hey, God's really in charge here. He's running this, you know. I'm here, I'm participating, but I'm not the boss. And that's really kind of what David is pointing out here in this, in this, uh, in these few verses. You know, we can, we can do our part, we can do what we think, but when we start to get above, when we start to say, I'm in charge, you're going to have a problem. That's not what it's about. David is telling us here, hey, you know, the, I, I've come to this point where I'm recognizing God has searched me out. God is in charge of this. God's in charge of me. And that's basically what he's saying here. Now, we get to verse 13. And these verses, we love these verses. They're precious to us. And uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Forrest read these verses here when we were celebrating the, the Supreme Court decision. But you know, it kind of strikes me, if we, were, if we were able to talk to David and say, you know, this pro-life movement just loves these verses. And he'd say, well, explain to me what a pro-life movement is. And if we talked about what it is, so forth, and why we, why we believe this, and he, would, he would look at you like you're crazy. Why is that even necessary? That would be something that's just incomprehensible incompre- to him. He, here he is stating the obvious. God forms life. God gives life. He's just stating an obvious fact here. We also, I also want to take these verses as we, he's, he talks about how we're knitted and formed in the womb and so forth. You also need to keep in mind this concept of the potter and the clay. I think that's a very good concept to keep in mind as we read through these verses. Verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them now like i said again keep in mind this this idea this notion of the of the potter and the clay of life being formed and then you get into this you know from the very instant life begins until your last day until your days on this earth ends god knows you he's in charge of it he he made life he made you now, the, when you get down here to verse uh, 16, it talks about, in your book were written. Now, that's, that's a very interesting concept, a very interesting subject. And uh, someday I'd like to pursue that some more. Because as you go through, as you go through the Bible, these things, you know, the, the subject about the book pops up quite a bit. Uh, you'll read about uh, God's book in Daniel 12. Uh, you'll, you'll get mention of the book in Jeremiah and in... Um, um, Kyle's not here. Is it Ecclesiastes? Jay, maybe you can help me. Is, is Ecclesiastes, does that talk about this book of life? Uh, there's several places. And sometime I'd kind of, you know, I'd kind of like to make a little study of that and, and explore that a little bit more. But the most obvious one that comes to mind for me is Daniel chapter 12. And there's mention there of that book. Also, uh, the last few months we've been going through the daily readings in the uh, uh, yearly Bible, daily readings. As you go through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, every time you get to the end of a king's reign, it says 
and the rest, in all of his details, all the subjects, everything about his reign are written in the book of, and he'll talk about these, these history books of, of the, the history of the kings and the rulers and so forth. And I keep thinking, boy, I'd like to get a hold of one of those books. But, but you can't. They don't, they're not there anymore. But so many times as you go through the Bible, it talks about these books that we don't have access to. But there are mention of them. There is little pieces of information about them. And if you spend time searching them out, you will gain some information. You'll gain, you know, there's things to learn that you didn't know before that you can't learn just reading the narrative here. But David mentions it here. It says, in your book were written every one of them. Every one of the, of the, uh, of the events, every one of the days of my life. It's a massive book. Well, we know that when the final day comes, the day doesn't come, the book is going to be opened. If your name is there, you're in the kingdom. So this, this book is something to be aware of, be cognizant of. Now he gets to verse 17 and says, and this is really kind of still part of the same uh, part about being formed uh, from, the, from the time life began. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. How precious to me are your thoughts. How precious it is to me when you, God Almighty, when you, God Creator, think about me. How precious that is. That needs to soak in a while. God thinks about me? Seems to me like I need to be thinking about how to please Him. Well, if you really think that through, that's probably not going to happen. You know, my feeble little actions and thoughts here, it's not anything I can do. There's nothing I've done. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation, to earn God's favor. Jesus has done that for me. But when God thinks of me, that's big. That's heavy stuff. Well, now we get to verse 19. Now, verse 19 through 22, they kind of break the rhythm of, of the thought process here. They kind of break the rhythm of the prayer. Now, uh, I, I looked at, I think there was three different commentaries I looked at when I was, uh, this past week, when I was going through, reading through this uh, psalm. And, of course, I always got to refer to somebody that knows more about it than I do. But uh, I find it quite interesting that, that these four verses here, uh, you know, David raises the subject of, of the enemy. Uh, he says that you would slay the wicked, O God. Well, the wicked are the enemy. And um, several of the commentators, um, uh, Bible scholars, you know, they, they list, you know, liars, cheaters, so forth. So these are the enemy. These are the wicked. Well, yeah, that's, I can understand that. But there's uh, a pretty good uh, school of thought out there among Bible scholars that maybe these four verses are misplaced. Maybe these four verses should be in, cha- in, uh, chap- in Psalms 140, because there he is actually talking about enemies and deliverance, you know, so forth and so on. So there's there's thought that these four verses may have been misplaced in the narrative. Well, I tend to think that you know, but the Bible we have is the Bible God wants us to have. Is kind of my overriding thought here. So even though these four verses do seem a little bit uh, out of rhythm with what, with this prayer that uh, David is praying, I still think it has its place here. And even if there there was a misprint, if you will, if they ended up in the wrong psalm, it's okay. It's okay uh, the way the way God 
got the Bible to us, I'm good with that. You know, so there it is. But he says in verse 19 through 22, he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. See, that's kind of out of character with all this uh, wonder and awe just that he's been praying. Then he gets here and starts talking about kind of ugly things again. So it seems a little bit out of, out of character. But I also kind of have a tendency to think, you know, David is so caught up in this uh, rapport he's got going on with God here, the, the, the whole notion, the whole awe of thinking about God searching me out. God searching, you know, David thinking about God searches me out. You know, he, he directs me, this, that, and that. And he is so caught up in the magnificence of that that he is determined or he wants to uh, block anything that will obstruct that. And maybe that's why these four verses sound the way they do. He, he wants to make the effort to obstruct anything that's going to uh, mar this relationship he's got going on here in this thought process. Now, we get to verse uh, 23 and 24 now, and we just sang this a little bit ago. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It says, uh, Search me, O God, and know my heart. David saying, I want to open my heart. I want you to search me. Now, you know, I think that's the attitude we should all have because He does. He knows you. He searches your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your movements. So the attitude we should have is to open our hearts to that. See if there's any grievous way in me. Well, God, show me. What, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? What actions do I need to take? To be in line with your will. That's, you know, might be the hard part. How do I have to change? That's what, as humans, that's what we hate more than anything else is change. But show me any grievous way in me. What do I need to do to be open to this searching of my heart? And and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, of course, that's what we're here for. That's what we want. We want this way everlasting. Jesus has, you know, has brought us the way, and that's what we want. Now, you know, so I hope this encourages us or, or tells us, yeah, you know, God is in control. He's in charge. All these things that we're dealing with that just overwhelm us and seem to knock us down, we have a God that loves us. We have a God that is in charge. So, so what is it we need to know? What is it we should? What is it we need to take away from here today? Well. I think that uh, I think that what I would say today, what I what I want us to know today, is that when we are willing to open our hearts to the searching that God does of us as individuals, we need to know that God knows us. He knows you. He knows me. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us on an individual basis, and then He loves us collectively. He knows us. He loves us collectively as a church family you know we've 
when we sit here on Sunday morning, I just I look at these people, each individual, and and what we do during the week is just the spectrum is just huge, you know, from from here to here, what what people do, how they fill their days, what they have to do to earn a living, to take care of a loved one, to get the kids off to school, you know, the 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 individual. Uh, Actions, chores, tasks that we do every day is just phenomenal. But yet when we're gathered here as a church family, we need to know that collectively God knows us, He searches us, and He loves us. And I think what I want us to know today is that when our hearts are open to to God searching us, to God leading us, when we understand that it is God that searches us, knows us, and loves us, that is when, collectively, as a church family, we are able to worship in a way that is worthy and pleasing to God. And that's what makes a church. That's what makes a church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each one that is here this morning. I just thank you for your actions, your searching us, your guiding us in our lives, individually and collectively. And I just pray that as we go from here this morning, Lord, that your, uh, your presence and your guidance would be with us. Uh, we would be open to hearing you. We would be open to having you search us all the week long until we're gathered together again. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that every time we read, every time we open it, there's something for us to learn, there's something new for us to hear. So I just pray that you would go with us now from this place, watch over and protect, bring us together safely again. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.